Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. Hello, lovely Strata people, and welcome to this week's episode of the Your Strata Property podcast. I am your host, Strata lawyer, Amanda Farmer, and I'm here each week helping to demystify the legal complexities of apartment living. This week, I am joined by a fellow Strata lawyer, Alison Benson. Alison is a director of Kieran Benson Lawyers, specialising in Strata, community titles and building defects law. Alison has been working in this area since 2008. She concentrates on advising and acting for owners corporations, community associations, lot owners, in the preparation, interpretation, enforcement of management statements, bylaws. She acts on strata renewal processes and in both strata and building construction disputes. Alison is well experienced as an advocate in the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal and has represented parties in disputes all the way to the New South Wales Court of Appeal. She also writes a blog on strata law called Thoughts from a Strata Lawyer. A link to that one for you in the show notes. And she is a regular presenter to owners, owners corporations, strata managers and strata lawyers on the ins and outs and the hot topics that are facing us in our strata world. This is not the first time I have had the pleasure of Alison's company here on the podcast. We also had a chat back in episode number 203. In that chat, Alison was talking us through the implications of what was then an NCAT appeal panel decision about owners applying to the tribunal for compensation when they had a claim against their owners corporation. That case was the Pulisson case, which later became known as the Vickery case when it went up to the Court of Appeal. In this week's chat, Alison and I are again talking about some tribunal litigation, specifically litigation in which Alison acted for the Owners Corporation. I'll let Alison give you the background, but in short, we are talking about cost recovery bylaws, also known as enforcement costs bylaws. They're the bylaws that many buildings in New South Wales have in place to allow Owners Corporations to recover from recalcitrant lot owners the costs that they are causing owners' corporations to incur as a result of their persistent bylaw breaches. This is a topic that I touched on briefly in one of our recent Friday Live chats over on the Your Strata Property Facebook page. We had a lot of interest in that discussion, so I thought it well worth to bring the woman with the first-hand knowledge, Alison Benson, to the show. Alison has also been part of at least one, I think more, of our Friday Live Facebook chats She was one of three of my special guests when I broadcast live from what we called our Girls Weekend Away a few months ago. We booked an Airbnb in a popular wine region, had a very enjoyable wine tour on a Friday afternoon, and then Alison, along with two other well-known, I'm going to say, female strata figures, joined me for a Friday live chat. If you haven't caught that one, it's a whole lot of fun. There's a link to watch that one via our Facebook page in the show notes. In case you haven't found them yet, when I'm referring to the show notes for our podcast episodes, they are over on our website at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash podcasts. Just find this episode number 346 on the page there. 
click on through and you will see all the links relevant to this chat. I'm going to take you right on over now to my most recent chat with Alison Benson of Kieran Benson Lawyers. Alison Benson, welcome to the show. Hi, Amanda. Good to be back. And I promise no death threats this time. (laughs) Yes, we have had a lot of fun on (laughs) live chats, on podcasts in the past. No, this is a very serious podcast episode this week. I know there are many owners, strata committees, strata managers, very interested to hear your take on a couple of recent tribunal cases dealing with cost recovery by owners corporations, what I call in the bylaws that I draft, enforcement costs, the costs that may arise for an owners corporation when it is attempting to enforce its bylaws. And as I was reading these cases, as I was trying to educate myself on what sounds like a bit of a shift in our law, I thought to myself, why not get the expert firsthand to come and share with us exactly what's going on. And this is her. She is here, Alison Benson. Thanks, Amanda. And um, nice to be called the expert. Uh, I know I I ran these cases myself. Um, so in far as that, you know, I'll take the expert title for that, but I don't claim to be the, the strata expert. But it's been an interesting process and it is a really important issue for all owners, corporations and lot owners because there are so many schemes with these type of bylaws in it. So many. It was only today that I had an email in my inbox attaching one of my own templates where I have drafted a bylaw that deals with this issue, enforcement costs, a few years old now, that template bylaw. And I was being asked by a manager, hey, Amanda, can you change this up and make it applicable to community associations? And I said, well, great timing because I'm actually in the process of reviewing all of those bylaw templates that have these kinds of clauses in them and not only do we need to look closely at whether we can apply them to community associations but whether we need to be reconsidering them for our owners corporations. So look let's start with the Cosquez case. I hope I've pronounced that correctly and the history I'll say of that litigation. There were a few cases that I know you were involved in. Can you give us a brief summary if you don't mind? No, not a problem. And one thing I think we need to come back to um, that you've just reminded me of in your introduction is the differences between cost recovery bylaws and cost recovery provisions in things like works bylaws. Let's absolutely deal with that. Let's come back to that. But uh, Cosquez, uh, not sure if that is pronounced correctly, even though I ran all three cases in that. I will just say lot four. It was really factually complex. We started off in the tribunal. There was a claim by the owner's corporation that the lot four owner had done unauthorised work, that the lot four owner owed monies under an agreement for excess water charges and that the owners corporation was owed monies by the lot owner under bylaws relating to cost recovery. And I'll focus on that because that's really what the topic of today is. There was also a cross-claim by the lot owner, cross-claim being that the bylaw had been unreasonably refused to approve the work and that the bylaws, the cost recovery bylaws, were harsh, unconscionable, oppressive and therefore invalid. 
So that was the original tribunal. We ended up with a decision of the tribunal that the bylaws were not harsh, unconscionable or oppressive and that my submissions that the bylaws were in fact of benefit to lot owners as a whole because they protected the lot owners' rights against people that incurred costs and allowed the owners' corporation to recover its costs rather than potentially having to cover the costs of lot owners who, for instance, had damaged common property or who had run up costs in tribunals or, you know, just failed to respond to inspection notices. Therefore, you know, the fire inspectors for the annual fire safety statement had to come out again and again and again. So that that was my argument. The tribunal accepted it at first instance. So if I can summarise that down to, Alison, why should everyone have to pay for the sins of just one owner? That was exactly the argument I raised and that's why I said it's actually for the benefit of all of the lot owners to have this type of bylaw, even if it is just used in cases where, you know, it's excessive costs. And, you know, we all know the schemes where there have been problem lot owners that like nothing more than a good case uh, and like (laughs) to um, cause costs to be incurred by the owners' corporation. The decision was appealed. The appeal panel decided that there hadn't been adequate reasons given and remitted the proceedings back to the tribunal. The remitted proceedings were actually heard by a different member and they took an entirely different view and they upheld the points for the lot owner. Yes, quite the roller coaster there for that owner's corporation, Alison. This isn't the first case where these kinds of bylaws or these types of cost recovery clauses in bylaws have been considered in New South Wales. Let's talk about the Liu case, that's L-I-U, and there will be links to each of these cases and the series of litigation in the COSQUES decision in the show notes to this episode. What happened in the Liu case? Well, it was again in relation to bylaws. This one was a short-term rental accommodation bylaw, so it was regulating short-term rental accommodation. That wasn't the issue. The issue in the Liu case, or Liu, and it was an appeal panel decision, was whether certain provisions in that short-term letting bylaw were harsh, unconscionable or oppressive. And there was two particular provisions in that case. So the bylaw conferred authority on the owners' corporation to deactivate access devices to the lot if there had been found to be a breach of the short-term rental accommodation bylaw. That was one of the the issues. The second issue was that it empowered the owners' corporation to recover the cost and expenses of carrying out activities under the bylaw, and that included, for instance, legal fees for chasing them up in the tribunal. So they were the two provisions of the bylaw that were under discussion by the tribunal, and in that case, the two points were considered being access was found to be an inherent property right. And the deactivation of the access codes was found to have removed a really important, a fundamental right really, that lot owners have to access their lot. And because there was no uh, conditions or details of how the, the breaches would be found and no conditions as to you know how long access would be deactivated for, that particular provision was found to be invalid. The cost recovery provision, which is what we're talking about, was also found to be invalid under the harsh, unconscionable and oppressive provisions. 
It was also found, though, and this is where the tribunal really went into a lot of detail, it was found to be invalid not because it had an adverse effect against lot owners. It was found to be invalid because it was beyond power, which was the two limbs within the Cooper case. One, a bylaw had to be within power, and two, a bylaw had to not adversely affect other lot owners without giving some sort of reward. So in this case, the cost recovery provisions were found to be without power. You can't recover the wording, and I should say it was very, very dependent upon the wording in the Lou case. The wording was they would recover as the owner's corporation the debt as a levy debt, and there was no power for the owner's corporation to recover costs and expenses as a levy debt under the Strata Schemes Management Act. So mm. slightly different to the Costco case. Okay, so bylaws that empower an owner's corporation to remove an occupier's access to their own lot are a no-no. We've got to be careful of those. That's the Liu case. And bylaws that seek to recover costs and expenses of the owner's corporation as if they were levies are also a no-no. This is what the Tribunal Appeal Panel has told us. Going back to Costquares, you've said the lot owner was ultimately successful when the matter went back to the tribunal. What did the tribunal in Cosquez say about that owner's corporation's cost recovery bylaws? Did they say the same things as the appeal panel said in Liu? No, slightly different. So we actually had three bylaws that were being challenged. Two of the bylaws, and I should just say I did not draft them, but two of the bylaws <laughs> had provisions in them that didn't quite accord, let's just say, with the Strata Schemes Management Act. So one of them in particular didn't relate or didn't refer to the occupancy provisions under the Strata Schemes Management Act and the Strata Schemes Management Regulations. So that one was problematic. So that was a bylaw and I did have a look at your summary in your blog, Alison, which we will direct our listeners to because it's a good one. That was the bylaw that restricted occupancy in each lot to a maximum of two persons over the age of 16 without any further exceptions, which unfortunately is not consistent with the occupancy limit provisions in our legislation in New South Wales which is in section 137 of our Act. So we have to be very careful when drafting occupancy limit bylaws that they don't overstep section 137. Yeah, and that was essentially it. It was an overstep. And look, to be fair to the person that did draft the bylaws, the regulations I don't believe were in at that point in time. To save it, really all it needed was something along the lines of or you know, as provided by the, the regulations from time to time or with any of the exceptions provided by the regulations from time to time. So it could have been saved. And another tribunal member might have read the bylaw down to mean that, would they? Do you think that, Do you think this one was black and white? I think the right decision was made in that one. The bylaw didn't make it obvious that it would be, you know, any changes would carry through or flow through to the bylaw itself. So that one... I can accept, quite frankly. So that sounds terrible. I'm accepting the tribunal's decisions. But oh, I think that was <laughs> probably a fair, a fair call. So we had other bylaws and one of the other bylaws effectively set out to say that, and I should say 
all of the um, the cost recovery provisions in these bylaws were phrased as if it may be an action that the owners corporation would take. The owners corporation did not have to take the action. So it was discretionary. That didn't save them. The fact that the owners corporation may have taken proceedings or may have added the costs to a ledger was discretionary. That did not save the bylaws from being invalid. So two more bylaws that were ultimately declared to be invalid. What did they say? Okay. And so these were the cost indemnity provisions the discretionary cost recovery provisions. The second bylaw provided that the owner or occupier was responsible for indemnifying the owner's corporation for any loss caused by damage to the common property. And that's a fairly typical bylaw we see, but they were also responsible for paying any fines or penalties that were imposed by the failure to comply with the bylaws. Again, that's a pretty typical bylaw that we see. The third bylaw, and because these kind of ran together, these two, required lot owners and occupants to comply with the bylaws and empowered the owners' corporation to recover as a debt, not as a levy debt, but just as a debt, its costs for taking action due to a breach of the bylaws. So just slightly different bylaws, but both of them were found to be harsh, unconscionable and oppressive. Why? Well, really good question because essentially they predetermined the responsibility for costs. So I believe that the tribunal may have looked at it as usurping its jurisdiction. Obviously, the tribunal has the jurisdiction to award costs. Um, So potentially that was an underlying factor. That certainly didn't appear in the reasons, but potentially that was the, you know, one of the underlying issues there that was on the mind of the tribunal member. So the issue was to whether the owners' corporation had power to put in the cost recovery provisions wasn't actually in question. Why? Because they were just found to be harsh, unconscionable and oppressive because of the predetermination of the responsibility for costs and forcing that back onto the lot owners without the lot owner having to have recourse to the tribunal. Um, So that was where the harsh, unconscionable and oppressive came in. Okay, now where did this leave your owner's corporation client? What kind of costs have they had to, let's set aside for the time being your costs, but what kind of costs have they incurred in dealing with these bylaw breaches on the part of the lot owner that now they just have to wear? Significant, um, significant legal costs because, of course, we came through the original decision, which we were successful in, the appeal, uh, and then the remitted proceedings. Um, bear in mind there were other issues, as I talked about before, that, that we were also arguing But we're talking about with regards to the bylaws, there had been a claim for insurance premiums to be compensated. Um, That did fall away at the original proceedings, but there was claims for meeting fees, claims for inspections and works to make the lot um, fire safe after work had been done by the lot owner. So there was quite a few claims in terms of the water charges. We had argued that it was under an agreement and alternatively that it could be recovered under the bylaws. So we're talking, you know, in terms of the fees themselves, not being legal fees, that the owners' corporation sought to recover, probably talking about 20000 25000 And then the third bylaw was that it allowed the recovery of costs, legal costs, to pursue breaches of bylaws. So obviously there were significant fees there. 
Um, so it was a very disappointing decision for the owners' corporation just to come to the conclusion that it had absolutely no power to do any of this. So those bylaws are now invalid for that owners' corporation. They can no longer rely on those bylaws to attempt to recover these types of costs. Are you madly redrafting bylaws for various owners' corporation clients? What do you say, Alison, that owners' corporations should now do, if anything, about their cost recovery bylaws and indemnity clauses in their existing bylaws? Yeah. Um, So this brings us back to the question I was referring to before about the different types of cost recovery provisions. So one of the arguments that I was um, using in the proceedings was that, look, we have a bylaw where the lot owner had agreed to be responsible for costs and indemnify the owner's corporation for any costs for breach of that bylaw. And just to clarify, this was a bylaw that granted the owner permission to carry out work. So it was a common property rights bylaw. We always advise our owners' corporations to put into those bylaws an indemnity provision should any common property be damaged, should there be any loss suffered by the owners' corporation. The owner with the benefit of the approval should have to reimburse the owners' corporation those losses. Yep, that's exactly what it was all about. And the lot owner had put forward such a bylaw and had agreed to those terms. That was distinguished from just a more general cost recovery bylaw. The tribunal felt that that needed to be distinguished because, firstly, the lot owner had agreed to indemnify the owner's corporation and, secondly, the lot owner gained a benefit from doing so because it was permitted to conduct the work. So I think for all the indemnity provisions for our works bylaws, our common property works bylaws, they are probably going to be okay although they need to be checked to see if those traitorous words as a levy debt are in those provisions. So I'd be checking for those provisions. Mm. And that's been the case since the Liu decision, hasn't it, that we've been careful to check for those words as a levy debt. From memory, I haven't gone back to read that decision recently, but perhaps the words as if they were a levy might have been okay, but certainly not as a levy? Yeah, I'm not sure that as if it were a levy would be okay. I think we just want to avoid any reference and any reference to any of the levy recovery provisions under the Act as well, because the Kosakoi decision, or however you may pronounce that, that also said that the owners' corporation had no power, and, and it affirmed Lou effectively to say the owners' corporation has no power. One of the bylaws in the Kosakoi decision did refer to recovering as if it were, didn't say levy debt, but referred to the section, which I believe is about section 82-ish of the Strata Schemes Management Act for the, the levying of contributions and recovery of contributions. So I think we just need to avoid it at all costs. For our general bylaws, general cost recovery bylaws, Oh, I would be extraordinarily careful. I would personally like to run another case in the tribunal with regards to this. I do quite like the argument that these type of bylaws, I mean, they're there for a reason, that they developed for a reason because we have had, unfortunately in our strata schemes, a number of lot owners over the years just cause the owners' corporation to run up costs. 
whether it's because they just keep on depositing items on common property that then have to be cleaned up, whether it's because they damage the common property, whether it's the fire, the smoke alarm call-out fees. You know, I've, I've drafted those, many of them over the years. And in fact, I've lived in a scheme where we had the, the fellow next door to me. I don't know what he was doing, but he certainly couldn't cook or he liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so that scheme had had a cost recovery bylaw because it was about every second week and the fireys. But, you know, it is what it is. We just need to be very, very careful about those bylaws. Know that they could be challenged. And if the cost recovery case is followed, they will be held to be invalid. However, it is a single member decision. So in that, it doesn't necessarily have to be followed. In fact, I've had members not follow their own decisions. So it's not an outright black and white situation. It is a be very, very careful if you are drafting these provisions or as an owner's corporation looking at these bylaws, you need to take them with a grain of salt to say 50-50 as to whether they're going to hold up and really carefully check the provisions make them discretionary, potentially even say don't presume or predetermine costs that are to be recovered. So potentially say, you know, whatever the owner's corporation is charged, if we're talking about a fire alarm call-out fee, don't predetermine that amount. Don't try and take away the tribunal's power to award costs. So don't predetermine those costs, but maybe just talk about the charges incurred by the owner's corporation outside of legal fees. And there'd be all sorts of charges. You know, it'd it'd be access fee charges to recode access cards. It would be, I'm just trying to think of some more, access fee cards, the main one, or lost keys um, would be the main one, fire call-out fees, that sort of thing. Additional fees charged by building managers for after-hours service, additional fees charged by strata managers for additional services. Absolutely. So there's there's tons of things that I think it's legitimate for the owners corporation to be able to charge a lot owner for. It's the, the user pays sort of concept. If a lot owner wants to do that or does cause that, is it fair for the rest of the owners corporation to have to support that cost? In my suggestion, no, it's not, particularly where that can be excessive. But we just have to be aware that we have this decision now that says, well, no, you can't do that. Um, that particular bylaw and how it was worded um, was invalid. Mm, definitely worth heading over and having a read of the relevant cases. I think they're fairly easy to digest, let's say, and you'll be able to have a look at the bylaw clauses that were challenged and that were found to be invalid. Something that I think it's important we make clear, Alison, only because I've had a couple of people reach out to me and express a bit of confusion about the types of costs and expenses that can be recovered from owners where an owner's corporation is suing for a failure to pay levies. So a lot owner has not paid their levies at all or on time, interest has been charged. Our legislation does say clearly that an owner's corporation is entitled to not just recover the unpaid levy, but recover the interest and any costs and expenses that it has incurred in seeking to recover those unpaid levies. So that is clear, that is in our legislation. So these cases don't affect an owner's corporation's ability to do that. That remains the case. That that remains off to the side. That's a different kettle of fish. Yep. So look, I'm inclined to agree with you, Alison, that if 
it is going to be the case down the track. Maybe there will be a decision coming from a higher level of the tribunal to the same effect. If it's going to be the case that owners' corporations don't have the power to make these bylaws, then we can end up in a pretty unfair situation. I know many owners' corporations rely on these clauses to ensure compliance with their bylaws when we have a system where it is harder than it should be, I think, to successfully enforce bylaws and to obtain penalty orders from the tribunal. The process is a long one. It is drawn out. It is technical. Do you think there's room for some legislative intervention here to amend our Stratus Games Management Act to make it clear that owners corporations do have this power? Absolutely. I think it's it's absolutely necessary. Uh, I know there's a reform process going on at the moment and I am hoping we will get as a part of that reform process at least a definitive guide of the types of fees that an owner's corporation is empowered to on charge to lot owners. If not, then something along the lines of, you know, reasonable fees reasonably incurred, um, which goes along with the general fees with regards to legal services. They have to be reasonable fees and they have to be reasonably incurred, which I think is actually quite a good test because not just... Does it look at, did you really need to charge these fees or or to incur these fees, as in, was the work required? So in this case, it would be, was the fee reasonably charged? Well, if you're taking a false fire alarm call out, if the owner's corporation has, you know, had a fine uh, 10 times because of one lot owner who just can't seem to learn what the setting for burnt toast is or is not, that would be, to my mind, reasonable to pass on. Perhaps not one. But certainly the second, the third time, you'd have to be considering it. So I believe that type of thing would be reasonable to pass on. And then the fee would have to be reasonable. So you can't add a 20% markup to the fee, just uncharge the fee itself. So that sort of thing would be very, very handy to have in the legislation. So hopefully we will get that. But I don't know when that will be coming on through. I think you might have touched on this, Alison, meeting fees. So very often an owner who wants to get their renovation approved doesn't want to wait for the next AGM to put their common property rights bylaw forward. They'll say to a strata manager, can you please convene a meeting just for the purpose of approving my bylaw? That can be done reasonably easily these days with electronic meetings, but it is the practice I know of strata managers on instructions from their owner's corporations to charge that owner the cost of that out of the ordinary meeting that wasn't otherwise going to happen. Those would be the kind of fees. Another example of the kind of fees that fairly, I think, should be borne by owners who are getting the benefit of of that meeting. Oh, absolutely. That may also be covered with the provisions in the works bylaw or common property rights bylaw. So you may have the provisions in the cost recovery bylaw that says uh, the costs of preparing, making, registering and enforcing the bylaw. And they, they were the different kettle of fish. They weren't uh, found to be invalid or, you know, the, the tribunal actually probably going a little bit too far to say endorsed them, but definitely distinguished <laughs> from the general cost recovery bylaws. So you might be able to get it in that way and that's the, the approach mm. to take to that. But definitely meeting fees should be able to be recovered, particularly where mm. maybe not a fee for meetings that have been requisitioned Uh, because that's generally by more than one lot owner and that's a statutory process to call that meeting. There's a formal process for it, Um, but that requires a meeting to be held. What we're asking for here with the types of meetings you're calling for are meetings that are held 
that are not required to be held but are being brought forward by a particular lot owner. Mm, yeah, it does make sense. Well, Alison, you and I could talk for another hour or two about this, especially if it was over a glass of wine, <laughs> maybe another time. We do have to wrap up, unfortunately, but I would love for you to let our listeners know where they can go to find out more about you, about your practice and connect with you. Oh, that'd be great. Thanks, Amanda. So I write a blog and have started doing a vlog. There's nothing so much uh, as flattering as somebody who is taking from and learning from Amanda. So I'm challenging the the video uh, population. (laughs) Uh, So please head on over to my blog, vlog, podcast, which is Thoughts from a Strata Lawyer, which is alisonbensonau.com. And that's Alison with two L's. That would be great. I do encourage everyone to head over and make sure that you are in the loop on what's happening over there, thoughts from a strata lawyer, and if only to read the very good summary of these recent decisions and Alison's review of their impact, a great one to be sharing with your strata manager, strata managers to share with your strata committees. And I have, since I started talking about this, having read these cases, Alison, I've certainly heard from many owners out there Mm -hmm. who are sitting on both sides of the fence, let's say, owners where the committee has sent them letters attempting to recover these costs and then owners who sit on a committee saying, oh, are our letters still valid and are we able to send them out? So a fair bit of confusion out there. I thank you for coming on the show to clarify some of that for us and look forward to chatting with you the next time you have an interesting decision, let's say this time around, interesting decision to share with us. My pleasure. And thank you as always for the opportunity to come on. Thanks, Alison. Catch you next time. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?